Hello friends, this is Tracy Sue and you are listening to What Would Tracy Sue Do? Where we ask better questions about things that matter. Oh, I am sitting in my house, in my bedroom. The house is quiet. There's a little bit of snow dusting the roofs outside. It's not a particularly lovely morning. It's actually kind of gray and... I'm over it with winter, frankly. I'm not much of a winter person to begin with. So getting through February and March for me is always a struggle in and of itself. My daughter, Ainsley, is 18. She is stuck in Indianapolis right now. I say stuck not because the trip wasn't planned. It was planned. Uh, But there was this crazy fervor of 24 hours that has gone into several days now of uh, reactive, overreactive hysteria and panic about this coronavirus. Maybe you're feeling this in the air. (laughs) Coronavirus, okay? Uh, First, the school district shut down all travel, and it was the day before these kids were leaving to an orchestra um, concert. Uh, it's competitive. You have, to, you have to compete to get in. Um, they were one of the few schools that was asked to participate, and it was in Indianapolis. And right in the middle of their uh, parent performance, um, they had decided that, they, that the school was going to ban travel. So the next day, with two hours notice, they called an emergency parent meeting and they said, hey, our school district overreacted, our school district agrees, they just had 500 kids who were going everywhere and they didn't want travel to shut down and not be able to get them home. So they said we can go if it is parent, uh, parent sponsored instead of school sponsored. So parents took a vote and we judged the risk of coronavirus to our kids as low. So we chose to send our kids. This basically changed nothing about the trip aside from us having to drive them to the airport instead of a bus, school bus taking them to the airport. Except for when we got there, our kids have slowly had everything around this trip canceled all of their banquets and events and trips to the mall and gatherings canceled um other schools had canceled uh the the place didn't tell us that of course they probably did not know i mean it's it would be one thing to look around the world and go well they should have told us but look around the world this happened so quickly And panic got so out of control within 24 hours, like this, this, just this panic started to rise up and escalate to the point where people are running out of grocery stores with gigantic shopping carts full of toilet paper. Like you never washed your ass in a shower or with a washcloth or any other, I have a. I have a tushy, frankly. Uh, it's a little um, bidet that you hook onto your toilet and um, you just run water through your bathroom sink into your 
bootay and then it hits the toilet and then you have a clean little behind. Anywho, it's been surprising and also not surprising to me how panicked we are over the coronavirus. I've been doing this book. I've been researching and um, working with an author uh, named Lonnie Malberg. Malmberg. I'm always afraid that I'm not going to pronounce the M in her name if I say it too quickly. Um, And it's called Goat's Work. And it is this awesome book about how goats can rehabilitate and reclaim land that we have just trashed out. Um, We've trashed it out through over farming. We've trashed it out through um, exploitation of the environment. We've trashed it out by having industrial plants uh, just dump their pollution on the ground and in the water. Um, We've just trashed out a lot of the world, y'all. I mean, trashed it out big. So I've been doing research about the necessity for this solution, right? So this is a book about the solution. And when you write a book about the solution, which is that goats can come in and they can do all the right, perfect things that a place needs to be done regardless of where you're at, right? This could happen on the beach. It could happen on a rocky mountain. It could happen in uh, freezing cold. It could happen in the hottest desert. Uh, Goats are these very resilient creatures, extremely resilient. Um, And they come in, they eat all the things that grow that we call weeds Um, they love them. It's like candy to them. They love it. It's like our chocolate. Mmm, weeds, yum. They love it. So you bring a goat and it eats all the weeds so that the weeds can't grow back. It eats it all the way to the root. And that gives the opportunity for other plants to pop up because goats don't necessarily like to eat those plants. And they poop and they pee and it fertilizes and their hooves massage the earth to aerate the soil. And once the roots take hold in aerated soil, now the ground can absorb and hold water, right? So you hear all this stuff about drought, 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 drought. We're in a drought, we're in a drought, we're in a drought. Okay, however, Mother Nature has backups for things like drought. Mother Nature has backups for things like drought. And these backups include the soil's ability to retain and hold water. So even if the even if um the precipitation doesn't come from the sky, it still has it below. Mother Nature also has groundwater under underground aquifers so that if the precipitation doesn't come from the sky, we can get it from below. As above, so below. You may have heard that phrase if you are at all religious or spiritual. So I'm looking into, as I'm doing this book, I'm looking into a few things, uh, a few culprits, shall we say. I'm looking into the history. History. History of America being founded, right? Because this is in the Rocky Mountain West that her business is. It can be applied everywhere, but I'm looking at the places where she's already worked and we're looking how, um, I start researching again since what high school, college, elementary school is probably the biggest time when I looked at how the West was won. So through adult eyes, understanding now what I know about capitalism and 
colonialism and imperialism and uh, political systems. Um, I'm researching how the West was won. I'm researching what were our habits in terms of preserving an ecology. Um, there were none. And I'm researching the mindset of people as they raced across the West, uh, following this boom or that boom. And essentially, America was founded on an exploitative grab for resources. We were Europeans who came across with the intention to exploitedly grab all the resources we could grab without thought for anything else, like literally nothing, like people inhabited. Like when I was a kid and they told me about the Indians, I had this idea. I had this idea that there were like, I don't know, a couple hundred people and they had all this land and why would they need it um, for just a couple hundred people? Right, So somehow we justified taking it over and I'm part of the group that took it over. So there's an incentive within me and within you and within everyone else who's listening here. Um, there's an incentive within us to excuse our behavior, uh, especially past tense behavior, right? Because we're not like that anymore, are we? No, of course not. We're not like that. Um, but really, there were hundreds of thousands of people here like there were hundreds of thousands of societies of civilized people here who were more migratory than we are yes but not quite as migratory as we think and there weren't a couple hundred people there were hundreds of thousands of people millions of people so I start reading these numbers and I'm like was there really 30 million bison running around in the United States, in the Midwest, and the West, just running around on all those plains. 30 million bison? And that can't be right that the government ordered a mass slaughter. No, it's right. That's what happened. Okay. But we have to have changed our ways by now, right? We have to have understood that Destroying all of the wildlife then destroys the food source. No, we've made no progress whatsoever uh, in enlightenment in that area. So just writing this book has been really, or writing on this book, writing in this book, helping this author, um, researching this book has been really enlightening to me to sort of review and reframe where we're at right now. So I discovered a few things as I was checking some facts. I discovered that in the last 18 months, two years, our food system has been quietly consolidating. And by consolidating, I mean bigger corporations have been buying up smaller corporations, gobbling them up all over the planet right? All over the planet. So I started to see that if we're looking at our food system, we're talking about a planetary system. We are not talking about a United States food system. There is no such thing. The companies that have been going around buying up our food system 
eliminating our topsoil through overuse and contamination are not American companies. They are not companies owned by people in the United States. So I start noticing that these companies are so huge, so huge, that they own 99% of livestock on the planet. Now, see, I knew that there was a thing called GMOs, and I knew Monsanto, and, you know, this was bad, and I knew that, you know, eat organic, don't eat GMOs, but honestly, I'm a woman on a pretty slim budget for the last few years, and um, that's just not feasible, right? The prices are such that only the privileged, and the very privileged, actually, can eat you know, grass-fed, free-range, organic food, right? So clean food, healthy food, is a privilege for the wealthy. Um, You know, I mean, I have friends that do it, but they're friends who don't have the responsibilities uh, that I have. So, yeah, if you don't have any children to support, then your disposable income can be directed toward your eating habits, right? Um, And if your wealth is far outside the typical American uh, middle class, then yeah, your eating habits can be that of privileged. But in terms of having actual effect, the number of those people who can afford to make such conscious choices about their eating is very small. It's very, very small. And as such, the ways in which we manufacture foods for those people are also very, very small. So I discovered that the companies that used to be in the sort of cultural awareness have been bought up. They've been bought up by other gigantic corporations, I mean, global, enormous corporations. And I'm not talking about like, I'm not talking about like, oh, they own some ranches, or oh, they own some feedlots, and that's naughty. I'm talking about corporations have gone up and bought all of the water rights. Maybe you've heard only 3% of the globe's water is usable for things like drinking, washing, cleaning, hydrating, watering land, watering fruits and vegetables, consuming, making food. 3% of the globe's water. And this global water source has been drained. It has been drained by our short-sighted consumerism, right? We've just had this couple of decades now of just wanton consumerism. You know, we've reached a few crisis points in our history together as Americans, and um, a few of those have happened in my lifetime. And every single time the economy tanks and the word from on high from the president has been to continue shopping. That was the advice after the crash in 2001. 
that was the advice after 9-11. Go shopping. That's what Bush told people. Go shopping. The economy needs to keep moving. Go shopping. And this created sort of a, like a psychosis in America, in Americans, that shopping was somehow this patriotic duty, and it was the only way to keep us moving. It was the only way to keep an economy good was to go shopping, right? And that's kind of the idea of capitalism. If you're not shopping, money's not changing hands. If money's not changing hands, our economy is going in the shitter. Keep shopping. That's your job as a citizen. Keep shopping. Keep shopping. Keep consuming. Keep consuming. Keep consuming. Keep shopping. That was the advice after 9-11, and it was the advice in 2008 when we had our housing market crash. Keep shopping. Keep shopping. Keep consuming. Keep shopping. And we're very good at it. We're very, very good at shopping. Um, we're so good at shopping, we don't even leave our couches to do it anymore. Right? We are very good Americans. That's what we do. We shop. What we shop for is so complicated. It is so complicated to determine whether what we're shopping for has negative consequences that it's impossible. Right, so consumer choice is a fucking fiction. Whoever is saying that consumers have choice is deluded. They're completely deluded. Because the only reason that I know what I know now about our system and about food choices is because I spent three months researching it. And I only spent three months researching it because it was applicable to my job. It was applicable to this book that I'm working on. It was applicable for me to do the research so that I could fact check, so that I could find a cause and effect and correlation, right? So to expect your average citizen to know where their bottle of water is coming from and what the politics are around that is insane. It's a cop-out. Right? So the people who tell you, oh, it's consumer choice, have a vested interest in you not knowing where the fuck your food is coming from. And I'm talking about your interest in where the food is coming from because very few of us, unfortunately, give a shit about how it's affecting a local economy somewhere else. We can't afford to. There's too much information. Our empathy is limited. It's limit, And I can speak to this myself. My empathy is limited. I only have enough to worry about a smaller and smaller and smaller piece of the world because I am empathic. I get drained. Like, I cannot consume the news. It will make me physically sick. And more and more and more and more and more people are realizing this. And that's normal. We are fucking mammals. Our brains are not built to consume all of the available information. Consider the difference between the available information of me as a child in the 70s and the available information of my current children. That information has gone from, oh, there's a 6 o'clock news and an 11 o'clock news 
and a morning show to 24-hour, 20,000 information outlets, by outlets, I mean inlets coming into your life. You cannot escape it. It's every time you log on to your email, every time you log on to Facebook, every time you log on to YouTube, every time you're standing somewhere where someone else has logged on. It is so pervasive and so constant that our neuropathways are very rarely rested. Very rarely rested. And therefore, our ability to empathize with things that do not directly affect us is limited out of necessity, right? It is out of necessity because we are going insane. We are going insane with this incessant feeding of information. And now we're discovering... We're not paying much attention to, but we're discovering that the information that we're being fed in this way is deliberate. It's very calculated. It's very deliberate. It very much was used in the last election. Very much was used in the last election was news and fake news being pointed to the exact right demographic. And how did they know the exact right demographic? Surveys. They sent out surveys about our political opinions and we told them individually where our soft spots were, where our fears lay. And they sent us exactly the ads to the second, exactly the ads that would trigger those fears, that would prompt the voting response they wanted. Yes, my friends, it has been very deliberate. It has been a conscious act on their part to deceive and manipulate votes in order to control the marketplace. And they have won. They have won. When I started writing this book, I thought, oh my God, this book is going to change the world. This is amazing. Here's the solution. Now that I've done the research, I am more terrified than hopeful. In fact, I'm fighting off a little piece of despair. And I see how we're reacting to the coronavirus in this sort of amped up, over-terrorized, over-fearful, over-reactive way, and I'm observing a few things. Your panic is not about this virus. The world's panic is not about this virus. The numbers do not equate to this type of panic. Your personal panic is two things. One, it is intentional. It is an intentional distraction so that you're not noticing the fact that Trump has declared a national security and you're going to war. He's already bombed Iran. While you were worried about toilet paper and freaking out about your food supply, he's already gone. He's already gone. He's already, we're done. A president has very few powers, few actual powers. Right. Presidents are um, 
they're national emissaries. They re- represent us around the world. Uh, you know, they have ambassador-like qualities to them. They um, set a collective consciousness, right? They set an atmosphere, a mood. And I have to tell you, as a woman in this country, I am not fucking happy with the mood. I am not fucking happy with the fucking mood. I went to having a good time on a date with men to being it being a very violent, hostile situation for women in this, in, on this planet. In my personal life, the amount of energetic violence I have experienced since this man was elected makes me very fucking angry. The amount of sexual harassment and assault my daughter has experienced makes me very fucking angry. And that is because we have a collective consciousness being run by a president who considers women his playthings. At best. Demons at worst. And a president can veto or sign bills, right? That's, that's essentially what a president's allowed to do. Through our system of checks and balances, which has become a bit of a joke. A bit of a joke because we have allowed ourselves to believe that, uh, you know, keeping things locked up is somehow in our favor. If we allow the other, or if our party decides to lock something up using a loophole, That somehow is good for us in some way or that wasn't, oh my God, like seriously, people, come on. So nothing's getting done. No, nothing's getting passed. No changes being made by either party. But with a state of emergency. President's not allowed to declare war. He has to go to Congress and get them agree. Get to get them to agree. They have to declare a state of war, but a state of emergency. Oh my God. A state of emergency is the golden opportunity right now. A state of emergency. I'm telling you people, coronavirus is not about the coronavirus. There was one, one case of coronavirus in Larimer County and our entire school system shut down based on the hysteria coming from the news, being generated from the people on high who were appointed by Donald Trump. And it is a distraction. It's a distraction so he can go to war. And within hours of declaring the state of emergency, he bombed Iran. And that won't be the last of it, friends. As long as we are in a state of emergency, he can do whatever the fuck he wants until November. And if Christian voters do not tune in to the fact that they are being manipulated, we're in trouble. We're looking at mass global World War II, I mean, three shit. I don't mean to be dramatic (laughs) because we have a lot of drama. But I also think this is an opportunity where we need to wake 
up. Open our eyes and say, oh, what is this feeling that I have? Because there is a collective underlying dread. There's a collective underlying dread that we've all been carrying around. And we didn't know what to point at. We didn't know what to name it. We're listening to all of our politicians tell us what it is, right? So we're thinking that it's politically aligned to something, something unnameable. This mass panic that has been triggered so that Trump can go to war has tapped into an underlying dread. We can feel something has changed. We can feel something has changed. We can feel we're on the verge of something bad, something real, real, real bad. But it's the kind of thing that we've read about in history books. And it's weird because somehow if it's written in a history book or we put the word history on it, it, it takes this place in our mind that makes it not relevant to right now. especially young people. Time is so weird. Time is so strange for young people. Because what I was reading about in history books were things my parents were remembering in their real life. My grandparents were remembering in their real life. What my kids are reading about in history books are things that I remember from real life. And we get more of our history now from outside sources than we do from our family. So we're not, we're not receiving the um, learned values, right? So unless we're very intentional about it, our kids are not learning what we learned from being there in person. They're learning facts from reading it in a book, which is far less valuable, right? So while I'm working on this book and I'm looking at dates and I'm looking at um, collective thinking, uh, collective consciousness, um, political ideas, how those were manipulated and used and merged together to create uh, an environment right now where we're, I mean, there's a fucking problem. I don't care what science you look at. There's a fucking problem. And it's a problem with our consumption of resources, which is a very American thing to do because it was the whole reason we were founded was to come here, get the resources for our European colonists, right? We didn't come here independently. That is not how, (laughs) that is not how, uh, the Americas were were founded and settled. The Americas were founded and settled so Europeans could grab resources and take that wealth. And that has very much been our consciousness here. To grab and take. To grab and take. To grab and take. Even those of us who were never going to go back home, that was still the collective thinking. Grab and take.
our food system has been consolidated in the last 18 months so that Monsanto, which is one of the names that you probably most have heard about being an evil actor in our food system, has been purchased by a company um, called Bayer. Yeah, the aspirin company. Who knew? And Bayer, I did not know this because they aren't an American company. They're a German company. It is enormous. Enormous. Dow Chemical, another German company, and DuPont merged. Both enormous companies that have become enormous companies. Now, DuPont is an interesting one because I had heard about DuPont in association with the Oxycontin crisis, right? So all over the country, in particular agriculture towns, have been ravaged with overdoses of Oxycontin. Dude, I can't get a dentist when he like does actual surgery on my face, give me one single Oxycontin, and yet somehow in these tiny little farming communities, these little agriculture communities, they're so rampant, the death toll is so high that these towns where farmers own the land are dying left and right. Their children are dying like crazy. There's no one to inherit the land. And that drug was approved so quickly it did not have to go through the FDA regulations. It, just, it got, it got green-lighted, go, go. DuPont had that much power had that much power. So when I saw that Dow Chemical and DuPont, oh, where else did DuPont come up? DuPont came up with uh, cannabis. DuPont was the reason that cannabis, marijuana, hemp, was outlawed. And it wasn't because of its um, psycho, psychoactive properties. It was because hemp was being used as the primary newspaper source. And back in the day, Newspaper. We made a lot of newspapers because that's how people got their information was on newspaper print. Well, DuPont had a different way of making newspapers and they wanted them to corner the market. And so they convinced Congress to outlaw him because marijuana was evil. Cannabis was evil. The only reason that cannabis is illegal is because DuPont wanted it that way. And guess who doesn't want cannabis to be legal again? That's right, companies like DuPont who can sell you prescription drugs and keep you on them for the rest of your life when cannabis would have been doing the job just fine without them. So this company, DuPont, has come up 
and come up and come up in my reading in different fields, right? My reading and, and consuming information in very different um, realms. Just I, I pleasure read a lot. I learn a lot of things from nonfiction, a lot of things uh, in, in a whole bunch of different areas of focus. So this company kept coming up and kept coming up. So I Googled it and I found out that DuPont has strong ties to Nazi Germany. DuPont was one of their main suppliers. DuPont was sending supplies to Nazi Germany so that they could keep their war machine moving across Europe. And there was an ideological sympathy. So they merged with a German corporation. Guess what ideology they have? I also looked into the other companies, these other massive companies. Um, <laughs> there are basically three companies. None of them are in the United States. None of them are United States companies that own all of the livestock on the planet. Here's the interesting thing about livestock. We are eating livestock that are not natural to the United States. They weren't even things in our diet at all. Cattle. Cattle was not in our diet at all until the refrigerated railroad car allowed it to be transported after death. Cattle is not native to America. Cattle barons from Europe brought it over and started multiplying it like crazy and used the rail carts to distribute it to places like inner cities that did not have a family cow or I'm sorry, a family goat or something to eat or chickens. It's a completely artificial thing in our diet and cows consume so much fucking water. So much fucking water. Like every cow every day consumes 25 to 40 gallons of water and we're in a water shortage and it's not because of drought. It's because companies all over, companies have gone all over the globe and drained the groundwater. They have drained the groundwater for agriculture farming. They like to blame it on drought, but really it's overconsumption. So that hamburger you ate, the price of that hamburger is not the actual price of the hamburger. It's also the water you've lost. Topsoil? Oh my God. Topsoil. Did you know, I did not know this until I started doing this research, did you know that 30 to 70% of the planet has already had disturbed ground. Just 70% of the planet's ground has already been disturbed. And on the ground, what makes up ground is soil, top soil. The main component in soil is carbon, CO2, which is a greenhouse gas that we have too much of in the atmosphere 
which is causing global warming and all kinds of additional problems, natural disasters included. All of this topsoil without carbon cannot grow things. Things cannot grow unless we put the carbon back into the soil. So that's the exciting thing about goats is that goats sequester carbon, right? So the carbon comes from the atmosphere and goes back into the soil where it belongs. Agriculture is equally as responsible for for our climate change issue as oil and gas as our mining industry agriculture now this is fixable so when i started you know working on this book i was like oh this is great because it's fixable right it's totally fixable we just have to get everybody on board with using goats but the deeper I researched into it, I realized that the magnitude of power of the few people who do not want us to fix it is mind-boggling. It is mind-boggling. So while Trump voters are like, keep America great again, Trump is going, I don't give a shit about America. There's a globe to take over here. There's a whole entire planet of resources. And I'm a capitalist, bitches. Trump is nothing if not a capitalist. So these companies have gone around and they have bought up smaller companies. They've bought up water rights. They've ravaged farm towns so that they could wrest control of farmland. They've consolidated to a very disturbing few. I started researching the names of these big corporations. None of them are United States owned. They have quote unquote headquarters in the United States, but their origins, their main puppet masters are not United States citizens. And yet we have granted corporations the rights of citizens of the United States, friends. Consider the implications of that. Our entire food system in the United States and on the globe is controlled by mega corporations. And though these corporations are not owned by American citizens, corporations have been granted the rights of citizens under the Supreme Court during the Trump administration. Honey, you're nothing but a peasant and a consumer. You're a worker and a consumer. That's what American citizens are at this point. We are a labor force disposable or used as needed for whatever their capitalistic endeavor is. And we are consumers. 
someone to whom they will sell their product and you can't opt out. You cannot become a vegan and opt out. You cannot commit yourself to only eating grass-fed, grass-raised, whatever, livestock and opt out because they own everything in the whole process. They own the herbicides, they own the pesticides, they own the seeds that make, they own the seeds that make the plants. They own the vast majority of seeds left on the planet today. They own the animals. A farmer cannot reuse his seeds, which is thousands and thousands of year old farming practice. He cannot reuse the seed. The corporation owns it. Our uh, diversity is getting narrower and narrower and narrower and narrower. Our topsoil is just ravaged. Without topsoil, we can grow nothing. It's just dirt. There are people in this world who have a vested interest in your panic. And it's easy to trigger. So easy to trigger because you've been feeling this sense of unease. You've been feeling that something is not right. Even without knowing what I just told you, you have this feeling that something is off. Something is wrong. Something's not right. And it's been unnameable. We are told that social media is depressing because we're jealous that our friends are having a good time. We're fear of missing out. That is such crap. No, we're not that jealous of our friends. What we're doing is we're looking at our friends and the highlights of their lives, the trip or the special moment or the happy face, and we're thinking, why are they not feeling this dis-ease that I'm feeling? Why don't they have a pit of fear in their gut? Right? So we're projecting, we're seeing in them a happiness that we wish we had that they don't have. They don't have that. They also feel this sense of unease. It doesn't matter if you're rich or if you're poor, this unease exists because you're, it's a uh, powerlessness feeling, right? It's a nothing I do is really gonna change things and I struggle with this a lot. Why should I make a podcast? This podcast is not gonna fucking change things and it puts me at risk for all kinds of criticism, uh, you know, social, ostracism or people will think I'm crazy or my family will hate me because they're all Christian Republicans. Like there are many reasons for me not to make this podcast. And when I go online and I see everybody's feed, 
right? If you don't know their personal life, if you don't have very intimate with contact with someone, you're not going to know that they too are experiencing an underlying dread. They too are experiencing this anxiety, this feeling in their gut, in their heart, somewhere deep in their solar plexus that says something's not right here. And I'm going to call it my own depression because it looks to me like everybody else is doing fine. We do not have a global depression problem. And by that I mean we do not have a problem with perceiving things to be bad when everything's great. Right? So so there's kind of this idea that with depression, like clinical depression, there's no uh, cause for you to feel that way. It's just a mental distortion. No, it's not just a mental distortion. And I'm sorry, it's spiritual community. All is love. Everything's just love. Let's just close our eyes and feel the love. Let's just think positively. Let's just don't be negative. Things are as you imagine them to be. No. No, war is real. <laughs> and if you're just imagining this, knock it the fuck off because this is not cool. If this is just my imagination, okay, imagination. Um, let's flip this around and just be fucking happy because I'm not interested in creating war. I'm not interested in creating food scarcity. So when I see people run from through Costco or Sam's and shove food in their carts, what I think is really happening is that you are aware in, in a very mammalian way, right? You are a mammal who is processing the global consciousness of scarcity not, and it's not unreal. It's real. And who owns the monopoly on food and land and water is a terrifying group of people ideologically. Ideologically fucking terrifying. Nazis. Cartels. Gangsters. People for whom genocide is not a big deal. Genocide is not a big deal. And I started thinking about it. I was like, okay, we're at a state of emergency. Uh, we have land scarcity. We have food scarcity. We have water scarcity. Um, oh, right. We already have concentration camps where we have been putting people who dare try to escape the horrid conditions we have created with our consumerism from their town. We have put in concentration camps. Christians have been cool with that. I didn't know this. A huge piece of what ISIS, the terrorists, are interested in is the water source locally.
I mean, I, my mind has just been putting pieces together. I have had an underlying dread. I have had a an unease. A, this is not going the right direction. This is terrifying. And part of my unease exists in loving and being loved by so many Christian Republicans who I can see betray their own professed values. Because of manipulated dogma, I mean manipulated messages. 46 years ago, in 1973, the Supreme Court ruled Roe versus Wade that a woman had a right to terminate a pregnancy Um, As long as the fetus was unviable, right? As long as the fetus was unviable. 46 years ago, Christians decided as a group, collectively, that this would be the thing on which they stood politically. This is going to be the thing on which I stand. This is fucked up. It's wrong. It's reprehensible. It's egregious. Fuck that. Fuck the people who are for this. This is not godly. And for 46 years, you have checked out and allowed whoever said I'm pro-life to do whatever the fuck they wanted without any checks and balances from you. The Republican Party has been genius. I mean, just fucking brilliant. Just fucking brilliant. There is a faction of the Republican Party that are nothing but opportunistic capitalists who have every intention of taking and using every single resource without regard to any human or animal or plant life on the planet, and you have been putting them in office because they claim they're pro-life. If you, as a Christian, can look at Donald Trump and think that that man reads a Bible or is pro-life, you have entered the land of delusion so deeply there's no coming back. And if his professed stands out his mouth, what I mean by professed, these people are just saying things out their mouth. Like there's no sincerity behind it. There's, <laughs> there's zero validity behind it. I mean, Hitler literally did claim that he was a Christian. He used all the language of the motherland and the Christian people and Christian values and family values. There is a huge piece of the Republican Party that does not give a fuck about Christian values, and they're the ones in power now. And I know a whole bunch of you thought you could opt out, right? Faced with this choice between this egregious capitalistic psychopath and a woman who's pro-choice, 
you opted out. I'll just vote for the third party as a protest vote. I'm not voting at all then because I'm not going to reduce myself to going to the polls and, and consciously choosing one of these people. See, they've been banking on this. They've been banking on your refusal to participate in having to choose two things that suck. Welcome to the world, friends. Life, politics. Yeah, it's mostly about choosing between things that suck. Yep. Yep. You think Democrats haven't been choosing between things that suck? Yep, it's been happening. But yours is so predictable that it's easily manipulated. That's the thing, that's the difference. The language that you fall for is the same every time. It takes no new realities into account. It's like you guys froze your brains 46 years ago and said, this is our thing. And the world around you has changed massively. Like, like you can't even compare a 1973 world with a 2020 world and see a same world, right? The internet didn't exist. All kinds of medical technology didn't exist. Most manufacturing technologies did not exist. We have entered a new earth, okay? This is a totally new earth. And you encapsulated your values and beliefs and political choices in a 50-year-old ideology. And you stood firm on it. But because it has so little change, it's very easy to manipulate. It is very easy to control. It is so easy to control the Christian vote. Whatever you want to do. If you want to co control the Christian vote, you only have to do a few things. And one of them is say that you're pro-life. That's it. Because we have millions millions of people in this country who decided that was their voting line and wrongly believed that if people were pro-life that would be an indicator of their values that's an incorrect assumption because to assume that means that they give a shit Donald Trump does not give a shit. It does not matter to him one way or the other whether he says that he's pro-life or not. What he knows is he can get the power he wants if he says that he's pro-life. Christians have aligned themselves with blatant capitalists. And if there is anything that Jesus hated, I mean, God damn, read the Bible. If there is anything that Jesus actually loathed, it was the capitalist. And I'm not talking free markets, no. What we're dealing with now, this is not a free market system. In the farm bill last year, millions of dollars were handed to Brazilian gangsters with affiliations to a dark part of Germany's history. 
gangsters to quote unquote help the American farmer. I personally know exactly how that system is run. I personally know how those farmers get paid and I promise you, I guarantee you, those millions of dollars did not end up in farmer hands. They did not end up in farmers' hands. The way we're doing capitalism right now is not, like we love to talk about the founding fathers, the founding fathers, the founding fathers. Capitalism was a new idea. It wasn't even a thing that the, that the founding fathers were doing. That's, no, we were in imperialism. Like we were still talking about what royal crown got the profits or got to claim the new land because we planted a flag. Capitalism was not a thing. This is what I mean by we're not having a, a present grasp of reality based on reality. The stock market itself is imaginary money. I did a podcast on this in 2019, months ago, that said the stock market's going to crash. We're going to be in a serious recession because what they're saying is a great economy. They're using markers that are not real. Here's what's real. Land that you can grow food on. Seeds that you can grow food with. Animals that you can eat. That's real. And guess who owns those? Here's what's not real. Anything in your fucking 401k. That's imaginary money in the stock market. It's gambling. It's based on nothing. That's why in an instant it can drop to zero and no one's actual money in their wallet changes. Right? 1% of the world's wealth is in actual bills. 1% of wealth is in actual bills. And again, it's so easy to manipulate us because we're looking at our 401k and we're thinking, oh man, I'm going to have a cushy retirement or, oh my gosh, we're making so much money. And yet it's so hard for us to learn our lessons because five seconds after the economy crashes, we panic and the only thing we want is for the stock market to go back up when it's not an indicator of economic security at all. It is not an indicator of economic security. In fact, we have zero economic security. I predicted the stock market housing crash in um, 2008. I was writing about it on my blog. I was telling people, look, this is not sustainable. This is here, we're gonna crash. This has to crash. And that was because houses were being sold to people who can't afford houses, basically, right? So this fundamental change happened in which a loan is given to people who um, can pay the loan back, right? So why would a bank loan money to people who can pay the loan back, who can't pay the loan back, 
right? So a bank looks at a person who wants to buy a house and they say, look, you don't make enough money to pay this money back on time. So we're not going to give you the loan because our interest isn't getting paid back. Yeah, but our interest changed, right? What we learned or what we should have learned from that crash is that the banks don't care if they get paid back because they're making way more money on fees and interest than they ever would with the principal. And maybe you've noticed this in your student loan payments, right? Maybe you've noticed that they're quick to go to default because they're charging you so much more interest and so many more penalties than the actual loan amount. Who gives a fuck about my $15,000 principal when they're gonna totally jack me for $150,000 in loans and interest? Nobody gives a fuck about that $15,000 principal. These ideas are moving fast, friends. They're moving fast. And we're not getting the lessons because we're inundated with conflicting messages. Our financial crisis is in the idea that the capitalists who control the money have no interest in being paid back. Which means that they can do all kinds of hideously egregious things with interest, with late fees, with compounding, like terrible, terrible things they're doing. I, uh, <laughs> I calculated the student loan, uh, student loan, um, help, quote unquote help that they're willing to give Ainsley, who will be starting college next year. If she took the, I think, it, I think it's 140,000 fucking dollars, 140,000 fucking dollars to go to college to get a bachelor's degree, she would pay back two hundred and eighty thousand dollars if it was a low interest rate of six percent and if she never missed a payment and if she never paid a penalty and if she was always able to pay it and never needed a deferment she will pay more on interest than she will on principal she will very unlikely, it is very unlikely that she'll be able to pay that loan back. The minimum payment six months after graduation was over $1,000. But again, we're stuck with this old idea that the lending organization wants their money back. They don't want their fucking money back. They want interest and fees. And then when their whole entire scheme crashes, like it did in the housing crisis, right? Where they, they loaned a whole bunch of money to people who could not afford to buy houses, had no interest whatsoever in getting paid back, just wanted the fees and the interest that they were grabbing, right? Because you pay interest first before you touch the principal. If you've ever paid a mortgage or a loan, you've caught on to this scheme, right? They can be grabbing money all day long and you never touch a fucking single 
pit of paying off principal. So they realized, hey, this is way more profitable for us. And then of course people can't pay their loans back so the economy crashes and the economy crashes and what do we do? We bail them out. We bail them out because if they don't have any money, they're not gonna rehire workers. And at the time I thought, they're not gonna rehire workers. What they've just learned now is that people will work for nothing. What corporate America, corporate global corporatism learned from the 2008 economic crash is that people will work for nothing, that we will be as desperate as they want us to be and we will work harder than we've ever worked when we're desperate. They learned that they don't have to bribe workers to come to work with things like health insurance or with things like good pay, a living salary, or a guaranteed paycheck. No, what they learned was for a guaranteed paycheck we'll practically sell our souls we will lose our insurance and then not vote to get insurance from the government because the government's the scary thing. Friends, the government is not the scary thing. We're the government. Jesus Christ. We, us, you and me, we're the ones who elect the government. If we claimed the government back and not by electing a capitalist, like, I get why <laughs> you want someone that's not quote unquote bought by corporations, people who voted for Trump, <laughs> but that you think Trump is not the exact person who has bribed the government is incomprehensible. I'm just, my mind is boggled by the idea that this is the guy you put up there to shake up the system. This is the guy who was trying to take over the government in the first place, as we can see, because we're supposed to have systems in place that prevent very few companies who are all ideologically inclined to have global monopolies. But guess who appointed the people who approved that? Yeah. Your guy, Trump, he's a corporatist. That's what I'm calling today's capitalism, corporatism, because I don't even know that we've had language around what this is, right? What this is, is terrifying. 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 We're going to be presented in the next few weeks with another bailout. Oh, we need to bail out these companies because global blah, 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 and your life is going to suffer. These companies won't have enough money to hire you. Since 2008, we have had contract work and work that has paid I mean, $14 an hour, do the math. Do the math. A $14 an hour job anywhere in this country will not pay your mortgage. 
you will be working and losing money every day. Every day that you work at $14 an hour, in our world, in America, you are losing money. You are operating in the negative. A $14 an hour job is not a job. It's a place to go to do labor for free. That's not a job. So when you hear about the economy doing so great and they talk about unemployment being low, no, they're counting Uber as employment. Uber is not employment. Employment, a job, is something that you can go to, count on a paycheck and pay your bills all of your bills every single month, all of the things that it costs to live, that is a job. And in the Bush era, we had a job, right? In the Bush era, that economy had jobs. I'm talking about George W. In the George W economy, people had jobs. Most Americans had jobs and those jobs were competing with each other to get the best quality employee. And so we had benefits like awesome insurance policies and um, you know, paychecks that were, you know, companies were competing to pay. Now that was a house of cards too, as we know now, right? That was a house of cards and it collapsed. We never got back to the job thing and we're not going back to the job thing. <laughs> and it is so fun to blame the immigrant, especially if you're Trump and you want to put up a wall to keep people in America so that you can control people's behavior, their movements, their dealings. We're very easy to control, friends, and we are very naive about our susceptibility. And there are certain factions of our population that are easier to control than others, and those are pro-life voters. Because you checked out of the rest of the issues. You checked out about the actual corporatism that your party is doing. You checked out. And if you don't check back in and realize how dangerous it is to have food monopolies, global food monopolies, not even owned by United States citizens, we're in trouble. Like we're at the tipping point right now and you know that and that is why you went to the grocery store. This flu is absurdly innocuous. The coronavirus is killing very few people. We've seen outbreaks of other viruses plenty of times. The flu itself has killed more people today than the coronavirus has in the entire time that it has been on the planet, been discovered in a couple of months. Yes, the flu is going to spread, but what is actually spreading is panic. That's intentional. And it's tapping into something you already know, that we're in trouble. And it has to do with food scarcity. So what do you do the second you find out that there's a new sickness in town and somebody's going to sell out of food at the grocery store? You run to the grocery store, you hoard as much as you can. And you hunker down. 
Coronavirus panic is not about coronavirus. Coronavirus panic is not about coronavirus. The Republican Party is not about Christianity or Christian values. It is about corporatism. You have been invaded and taken over. And there's nothing you can do about it now except for vote against your own party. Everyone has to vote against their fucking values. There is something in every single election that Democrats don't like about Democrats. This does not make you special. You're just ordinary. The same ordinary people that the rest of us are in which we look at the handful of things that matter to us and try to ignore the handful of things that we find reprehensible and make the best choice we can. Now, here are a few lies that I hear people tell themselves. That you can opt out and this will not be your responsibility. No. Those who opted out last election are just as responsible as a person who voted yes for Trump. You are equally responsible for the nightmare we're going into. The nightmare we're already in and you're just barely feeling. There is no opting out. Third party voting is a delusion. You don't get to take a third party back door. That's how we got here in this corporatism is you took a third party back door. Until we eliminate the delegate situation, we will have a two party system. And maybe that should be the very first thing we do after this election is eliminate the delegate system because we don't vote as Americans for a president. Parties, our political parties send delegates. Which means that we're never going to have a three-party system or a four-party system because all of the delegates are assigned to Republicans or Democrats. Very rarely does someone get enough votes to have a delegate from a third party. Until our delegate system, which was based on necessity because it took days for someone to ride their horse to Virginia or Washington. The, the delegate is someone who from a community takes the votes of the local community, the local sentiment, and rides to Washington to cast a vote for a big population of people who can't all ride to Washington on a horse. It's outdated. Again, this is us doing things in a in a in a doing things today that were a world away, a completely different world, and we keep doing them for no fucking reason. We have blockchain voting. We could do blockchain just like we do uh you know, TechCoin. TechCoin is with blockchain technology, right? Very secure technology online at least as secure as the hanging chads, 
right? Paper ballots where it was so confusing that people poked a hole through two instead of one. And that's how we got George Bush. Like, I'm finding it alarming how often we have presidents that are not elected by the general election based on how we're doing delegates. That should alarm you as well. That should indicate that there are forces at play that are bigger than the individual people who are supposed to be making this choice. If we keep having general elections where the person who lost becomes president, that should be a real good indicator that something's up. And somehow we just keep ignoring that and continuing with this insane, stupid way that we're running general elections. It is ridiculous. There is no reason why we should not be doing one election for the entire country with blockchain voting. There is no fucking reason for this delegate bullshit and there's no fucking reason for two parties. And if we get rid of delegates, we can actually have a shot of some actual competition. But right now, if you're a Christian, you are in this mess. Your party has been taken over. If you're a Christian Republican, your party has been taken over. And there's nothing you can do about it now except for consent or don't consent. You can vote for Trump and then you're in the game, right? You vote for Trump, you're a corporatist. You are responsible for what comes next. And if we get Trump, I'm promising you right now what comes next is not pretty. It is not good. It is not good at all. It will not mean more jobs. Because here's the thing. If we blame all the immigrants, again, it's a distraction. Oh, the immigrants are taking our jobs. No, they're not. Automation and outsourcing is taking our jobs. And what is left are crumbs that we're allowing our corporations to pay through a 1099, which offers no security, no benefits, no insurance, nothing. Or we're calling a $14 an hour gig a job, which you can't actually pay your bills on. That's not creating a job. That's not a job. That's just a place to go every day to contribute your labor to corporate profits for a corporatist agenda. And you're doing it for people that aren't even Americans. These companies that have monopolies, they're not American companies. And, you know, as I was filing my taxes today and I had just done all this research about how much money is changing hands all the time, every day, here's my question. Why are any of us paying taxes? Amazon doesn't pay taxes. No company fucking pays taxes. Why the fuck are we paying taxes when we could tax these mega, I mean, it's incomprehensible how big these corporations are. Like you can't even comprehend the kind of numbers that are changing hands. And it's like a shell game where they're American companies, but they don't do business in America. They're not owned by Americans and they don't pay any fucking American taxes. Why do I have to pay one penny of tax? Why do you have to pay one penny of tax? Why do any of us have to pay extra for healthcare? People, 
It's like we're we're we have this isolationist idea in this very global world. We have this very isolationist idea that and, and this totally uncalled for arrogance that we are the smartest and the most innovative and the most genius and we we're just so awesome us Americans. Meantime, Canada has had social medicine Everybody in Canada has medicine. It's working perfectly. They have the exact same technology as we do. Uh, all of these, oh, well, we have to let these companies um, charge uh, criminal, criminal amounts of money for medicine so that innovation continues. That is such crap. Innovation isn't even happening here because of the FDA. Like, people are doing their research elsewhere because of the FDA. Places where... They are not allowed to rape the government with prices, have better medical systems. Our medical system ranks 38th in the whole world. 38th. It ranks below some third world countries. Yeah, we have big, giant, mega, global corporations who are raping us up the ass for these new inventions, but our medical system is worse because of who has access to medical care. Our infant mortality rate is higher. Our maternal mortality rate is higher. We are, I mean, we're killing our own selves by not allowing ourselves to finance our own, why won't you let yourself have insurance? That is so easily accomplishable. Why are you withholding from yourself insurance? Why are you making sure that you pay more taxes by not taxing these mega global corporations? They are not American corporations. Maybe you've seen the, um, the thing that uh, VAT, V-A-T, value added tax. Europe has realized that not taxing corporations that are doing business, a ton of business, in their country, but they can't tax them because they're not headquartered in their country or they're not uh, founded in their country or their owners aren't residents of their country, whatever. They've realized there's a trillions of dollars changing hands and there needs to be a way to tax that, right? Because yeah, something has to pay for everyone's medicine and it's gonna be you. It's going to be you who pays everyone's medicine. Yes, there's no way around it. There's no anti-Christian, I don't wanna share, why should I work and you don't have to work bullshit that's gonna get you out of paying for people's medications and their health. Nope, can't happen. It's just a matter of, do you want to pay it through income tax or do you want to tax Amazon? Amazon doesn't pay any tax. Amazon does not pay taxes. This corporatism is just about finding loopholes, controlling labor, converting citizens into consumers, with controlled messaging and 
a devastating Supreme Court ruling that allows non-Americans to have equal stature in the United States government and court system. With the amount of money that is changed hands every day in America, there's no reason you should pay a fucking penny in tax, income tax, to state or federal, and there's no reason I should pay a fucking penny in income tax. Income tax is unnecessary. It lays the burden at the feet of the people who don't even have jobs anymore. The jobs we had in Bush America are gone and they're never coming back. They're never coming back. And it's not because immigrants came here. In fact, immigrants are excellent for the economy. Here's why. When an immigrant comes to the United States, they contribute to Social Security tax and Medicare. We have 10,000 baby boomers turning 65 every single day and qualifying for Social Security and Medicare. 10,000 every single day. We have an aging population. We are not having children like we used to. And the idea of Social Security and Medicare is that for our older citizens, the younger citizens hold it up. So we're half socialized medicine. For the young, no socialized medicine. For the older, socialized medicine. Well, this is a major problem because when baby boomers were the younger, that was a hundred hands, a thousand hands holding up one elderly person. Right? I'll give you a little bit of my paycheck, no problem. Well, just a couple bucks here and there for your medicine and your ability to stay alive on the planet, no problem. Okay, but now we have an aging population. Baby boomers did not reproduce themselves, not the way they should have to sustain their own old age. So now we have two hands holding up an older person and trying to sustain their own life based on a 1099 contract job and no health insurance, and older people's lives with socialized medicine that they don't have access to. This will collapse. There's no political maneuvering that will prevent this from collapsing unless we do something else like socialize our medicine. We cannot afford baby boomers old age. There is no money. None. People have this misconception that there's a big pile of cash somewhere that we're handing out to uh, older people in the form of Social Security and Medicaid. There's not. There's not a single penny anywhere. That is coming out of young people's paychecks. At this point, we're already paying something like 40% of our paychecks. It's only going to get worse because baby boomers are getting older. And we don't have enough young people contributing. But an immigrant comes in. 
an immigrant comes in and they pay into our social security and our Medicare system. They don't get to benefit from it because they're not a citizen, but they pay into it. They also spend whatever money they make here, locally, in this town, in this city, in this neighborhood, at these stores. When you outsource a job, here's what happens. An American with a little more privilege sends a small amount of money to another country that money's gone. We never hear about it again. Or a giant corporation stops hiring Americans, goes to another country, hires a workforce there where they don't have to pay labor or deal with any of this bullshit tax thing. And now we don't have jobs. We cannot keep acting in a world of 46 years ago today pro-lifers, you do not have the privilege of pretending that this isn't your fucking problem and that it isn't your fucking fault. It is. You're the ones who have the power here because you're the ones who put him where he is. This man is a monster. He is a very, very, very scary person and he has aligned himself with some very scary people and some things have gone on in the background in terms of corporate mergers that are just not front and center in our consciousness because we are overwhelmed. We are overwhelmed with information. We're overwhelmed with things that they scream about on Fox News to make them seem important that are completely irrelevant and then, you know, way down low in the reportings are the consequences of having only three corporations own all of the agriculture on the planet. Like, that is fucking terrifying. That should be terrifying, but it's not the thing that's in front and center. Bombing Iran, not the thing. Front and center. What's front and center? A sickness being called a pandemic that had 36 people who were sick and they shut the school district down. 36 people nationally and such a panic was instilled that an entire school district shut down, flights shut down, state of emergency. Friends, the state of emergency is not this sickness. The state of emergency is a massive power grab and a ginormous distraction and we're gonna fall for it. I have no faith in you whatsoever. <laughs> I really don't. I don't, I don't, because people are habitual. We have habitual brains. Our neurology is set up to continue to do the things that we do. We are extremely good at denial. We're so good at denial. Christians have been falling for anti-Jesus messaging for so long that they actually think capitalism is like Jesus ordained and it's not. It's exactly what Jesus was fighting against when he turned over the tables at the temple. He was fighting against this idea that profit was more important than kindness.
I mean, <laughs> I have this friend, uh, she was raised in communism. Uh, she was raised in Romania um, until she was 12. She had never heard any capitalism messaging. None. Like, none. Money was not a thing. People traded their labor or they worked for the state. Um, no one ever worried about... I mean, they worried about all kinds of shit. There was nothing awesome about the Iron Curtain, except for she's an interesting person to talk to because she's now wealthy. Uh, because she had nothing to overcome in terms of negativity about money because money just wasn't there. It was not a thing, right? was not a thing. So issues that I have really struggled with, uh, being a woman and working, um, that has been a massive struggle in my life based on my Mormon good moms don't work uh, programming. She didn't have it at all. None of it. And so she just has gone for it. She just has figured out money. She just came here and she had like this blank slate on early childhood. And what we know now through psychology is early childhood is just like a cookie cutter on our brains, right? Just our brains are just so formed in a very particular way, in a very particular system, in a very particular ideology, right? And the ideology of the Christian right has been so formed by the conflicting values that Christians have aligned themselves with that they've become to believe that they are the same. They are not the same. There is a certain rhetoric that is being used very intentionally intentionally, very articulately, it is being used to manipulate pro-life voters specifically. There's 46 years of programming. 46 years since pro-lifers checked out of the whole conversation and decided only one piece of it mattered to them. Forty-six years of programming that has aligned Christian values with capitalistic values. These two were completely opposed values in Christ's day. Capitalistic values says, I'm going to get mine. Everybody else can just deal with their own shit. It's not my problem. And my goal here is to take and consume as many resources as I can get my hands on first, and then to control that so that I can continue to get my profits. That's capitalism. That's corporatism. Christianity was such a gentler, sweeter, kinder message. Christianity was all about, hey, leave 10% of your produce in the field so the poor can come and collect it. Hey, contribute 10% of your product that you have grown or sold to a collective offering so that we can help 
those who don't have as much. Hey, what about that guy? Have you thought about him? Hey, stop being a dick to your neighbor. Let him come over the fence or at least acknowledge your part in the life he's living. I mean, that's the thing. We're consumers now. We're consumers in the most profitable country, most prosperous country. Money has never changed hands in the history of the world the way it does here. But when you look in to whose hands it's going into and whose hands it's coming out from and who's going to pay the price? Who's going to pay the price for water scarcity? Who's going to pay the price for food scarcity? Is it going to be you? Because you knew this was coming. You saved up and you have your, you've maintained your stuff. You're prepared. See, that's the other thing that I I don't have faith in you, Republican Christian right. I don't have faith in you because you have an ulterior motive. The end of the world is something you've been pretty much looking forward to, if that's not too strong of a word. You have seen it as inevitable. You have seen it as desirable because when the end of the world comes, that's when Jesus comes. And it has made you irresponsible, egregiously irresponsible. Why should you protect the resources on earth? The sooner this thing blows up, the sooner you can get the fuck off this crazy planet. The sooner you can achieve the heaven that you think you're going to. I was raised in this ideology and I cannot see how you end up in heaven when you're putting immigrants in concentration camps. I cannot see how you end up in heaven and also allow the rape of humanity that the pharmaceutical companies and the medical companies like I cannot see how you end up in heaven and you create a system that allows people to get sick and die on purpose can't see it can't see it I can't see how you get your goal and remain aligned with this capitalistic psychosis and I can't see it based on um, you know the word of God based on you know Jesus Uh, what is the saying a camel can go through the eye of a needle quicker than a rich man can get to heaven Jesus was not a capitalist Mm -mm, no Jesus was not a capitalist he was very clear very very clear He was very clear about money.
And it doesn't really matter whether you only want to count yourself aligned with the Christian value, Christian right part of the Republican Party and not the corporatism part of the Republican Party. Because, friends, I got to tell you, you're a sidebar. That's what we call something in newspapers where it's like you're not the main story. You're just in the little side. You're a sidebar. You're like a little side paragraph. The real movers and shakers in that party are corporatists controlling global resources for financial gain, disrupting and abusing human life on the planet, putting people in concentration camps because they're immigrants who had to flee their own towns because American corporations went in there and created scarcity in their local food system to bring us avocados in the middle of winter who are fleeing their towns because there's no water left in their underground reservoirs because we wanted almonds year-round or whatever the produce is that they were growing. See, our food system, it's not just corporations, but it's fucking cartels and pirates. People are getting murdered because they're accidentally falling into a system that is now food. Like, who gives a fuck about cocaine? We're talking about water. Cartels are working in food systems. Actual gangsters own the livestock. Like, a mind-boggling proportion of livestock is owned by actual gangsters. Actual Nazis. And China. So, like, as I'm looking into this, I'm like, oh, my God. That company is formed by Nazis. That company is formed by drug cartels. Not even drug cartels, just cartels and gangsters. And then China. China's been quietly buying up a bunch of shit, too. Within those companies, let's say four seed companies and four uh, meat companies, one of each is Chinese. None of those are based in America, friends. They have the same American right to the court system. We're treating them like Americans, but they're not Americans. And if you look at the third world right now, there is fighting, there is conflict, there is terrorism, there is war, there is genocide, and it's all based on this global food system created by our identity as consumers. Like all of these ideas that we're going to be healthier, vegan, or eat free range, or, you know, whatever. Like it's not going to, it doesn't fucking matter. Like it has no impact whatsoever. None. Your food choices, your individual choices matter not 
one single bit. Your recycling program doesn't matter a bit. Nothing that we do matters a bit if the entire food and land and soil and water system is monopolized by these mega, mega corporations. Nothing we do matters. Nothing. And I was one of the people who was like, well, shit, Trump got elected and that sucks. And, you know, in four years, we'll, um, we'll get some sanity again. I mean, what can happen in four years? And it wasn't until I was working on this book that I realized, here's what can happen in four years. Here's what can happen in four years. And we felt it, man. It's not a... <laughs> Listen, this is not a Democrat versus Republican game anymore. This is a human versus ginormous corporatism game. And whatever you thought you were gaining in the stock market because you were supporting this kind of corporatism because you had bought into it with your little pennies in your 401k. Okay, hopefully the stock market crash has taught you that that is not worth shit. It is not stable. You cannot put your faith in it. You cannot put your faith in the stock market. The stock market didn't even exist when America was founded, friends. Like, we think that these ideas are what America was founded on, and they're not. Capitalism was not a thing here. That it, like, as a society, as a global human consciousness, there are waves of thought. There are waves of thought that come through, and they're based on the reality of the thinker's day, right? So these philosophers like Adam Smith, he was basing his idea about capitalism that he was writing about in the uh, 1700s. He was writing about these ideas based on the situation that he was in that day. That does not mean that that applies to the world that we live in today. When people are like, oh, the founding fathers, they did this, they thought this. No, mm -mm, no, no, they did not. They had no context of what this is. Things have changed so drastically that the founding fathers where they dropped here today would have changed their minds about a lot of things because that's what smart men do. Smart people have beliefs, they look at the results, they shift their thinking to get better results. If you lock in on a thought as a child, you're going to live a fucked up life as an adult. We know that. We know that if you believed something was true as a child, you have permission to grow up, look around the world as it is as an adult, and then reframe your beliefs. That's what healthy, functioning human beings do. That is what a healthy, functioning America should do. Let go of this idea that the founding fathers would have any fucking idea how to cope with this. 
It does not matter what they thought because their world is not this world. And it's all conjecture. It is all conjecture. If you're an adult listening to this, think back to some stupid thing that you naively believed when you were 12. You're an adult. Think back to something you believed in your heart to be true when you were 12 and then grew up and realized that it wasn't true. Or you didn't see all the sides of that. Or you hadn't understood that situation properly. Like, take your parents' marriage even. When you're, uh, you know, 12 or 6 or however old you were, when you looked at your parents' marriage and you had an idea of what that was or what that meant, and then you grew up and with adult eyes, you can look at that same situation Please tell me that your perspective has changed because if it hasn't, that is stunted. That is a stunted growth. We cannot be stunted by what we imagine and make up founding fathers would think about today because this didn't exist. Corporatism like it is today did not exist. Capitalism wasn't even the thing on their mind. They were worried about royals. That was imperialism. When they wrote the Constitution, they were reacting to imperialism and what they had learned about that. They had not even considered capitalism because it wasn't a thing. It was not a thing. America has made it a fucking thing, man. America, whew. All those colonists come here, run, grab as much as you can, as many resources as possible, because it seemed endless. You know, it wasn't until we had pictures of the earth from space that we realized how small the world was. It wasn't until then that we realized, oh, this isn't infinite. This is actually a small space right? A corporation knows now that it shouldn't build a vacuum that lasts 20 years or a car that lasts 20 years because the market for the vacuum or the car or the phone or the dishwasher is finite. I mean, back in the day, competition between capitalists kept them honest. At least that was the theory, right? My vacuum is better than your vacuum. Listen, you should come buy my vacuum because my vacuum will last for 20 years. Yeah, well, now if you built a vacuum that lasted 20 years, your market's done because all those people already own vacuums and it's not going to break. So at some point in the 90s, uh, typically with um, technology, I would say, things started becoming disposable. And that was for a few reasons. One is uh, technology was being um, invented and progressing so quickly that technology quickly became outdated, right? So when you're talking about the computer and iPhone revolutions, you're talking about things that um, they were buggy, right? Like 
God, I, I remember um, in newspapers we always used Macintoshes, uh, but it was a very high-risk experience because we would be typing on them and then randomly, out of nowhere, Sad Mac would come on. And it was like this face, I guess the earliest emoji maybe, uh, Sad Mac, this face would come on and have like this look of just despair because the computer had crashed. It had just crashed, like out of nowhere, it crashed, right? So you would be working on an article and it would crash and you'd be like, motherfucker, I have to start this thing over. Oh my God, I'm on deadline. I'm supposed to turn this in, in five minutes and my computer crashed and like I'm a compulsive uh, saver. <laughs> Apple S, Apple S, Apple S, Apple S, because back in the day, technology crashed all the time. And so they made a better one, right? So you wanted the better one so that it didn't crash, so you bought the better one. And then they made a better one and you wanted the better one. But now they're good enough that they don't crash all the time and just staying with an iPhone 4 is fine. But that's not great for Apple stock or Apple's marketplace because they keep inventing better ones as if, as if, as they did in the beginning because they were breaking. Now it's not that they're breaking. So what do they do? They're planning them to break. They need us to keep buying them. That's the corporate motive now. They need us to keep buying things we've already purchased which I go around and I buy old shit, man. I, I mean, I finally found a used dishwasher from 20 years ago. No, 10, 10 years ago. Because that worked. Now they just build dishwashers to break. They build vacuums to break. They build cars to break. They build iPhones to break because building something quality is not where they're going to get their market. Sales come from people who have broken things, if you think about it. Sales don't come from people whose vacuum worked for 20 years. They come from people who keep buying broken vacuums. So they plan obsolescence. It's built into their models to build things with crappier parts so that you have to buy a new vacuum or you have to buy a new phone or like they plan that in that's part of the planned business model so we used to say things like well good vigorous capitalism creates competition among brands and that improves product and service but it not really like it doesn't it doesn't because now it's in everyone's interest to make sure that we keep buying phones. So planned obsolescence is everywhere. And there are also backroom deals happening between giant corporations. Right? They, they have agreements. So there's a reason that you can only get one cable company to offer internet in your town. Like you don't have a vigorous option, right? Like if your internet sucks, 
you're pretty much screwed. You don't have more choices, which is how our cable and internet companies have become like evil empires. They have us over a barrel. There's no competition, so they don't have to treat you right. They can add crap onto the bill that you've never heard of. And the other company doesn't come in and say, well, screw you. I'm going to do this because they have deals. They have backroom deals. They've already agreed. Here's my territory. There's yours. And then the bigger corporation comes and buys out that. And so now you even have fewer opportunities. What we're facing now is fewer opportunities. Even when you go to the grocery store and you buy a generic product, that product is created by these few companies. Even if you go to the store and you see two different products with two different brand names on them owned by the same company. See, they don't put the name DuPont or as it's called now, Dow DuPont because it it combined with Dow Chemical Company they don't put Dow Chemical Company, Dow, Dow DuPont, on the label. They keep the label of the small company they gobbled up, or they have other little labels that they've market tested and found that you're susceptible to that purchasing. So when you buy things, you don't know who made them. If you were to say, I'm going to uh, boycott DuPont, uh, Dow DuPont, because there's plenty of reason to boycott these motherfuckers, believe me. You couldn't. It would be impossible. You couldn't do it. You couldn't buy any clothing because they make fiber. You couldn't buy medication because they make medication. Like, you would be hard-pressed to go through your house and point at something and say, Oh, I know who made that. No, you don't. No, you don't. What you see are brand names that are used for marketing. They do not indicate who made what. They do not indicate what materials made what. And we're talking about such massive global monopolies now. That you really would be hard pressed to trace things back. Very hard pressed to trace things back. And somewhere along the line, your objects, your food, your water has been tainted with this massive global corporatism that you are not big enough to change by yourself. Your personal eating choices, your personal um, recycling choices are 100% irrelevant. Completely and totally irrelevant. Because this has been systematically done, this will have to be systematically undone. You as a consumer are just a chump. You don't have real choices because you don't even know who's selling you what. You don't even know who's paying for that marketing. You don't even know what survey you took online that gave them everything they needed to know to target you with that exact ad, one of a thousand that they had made up to send to certain demographics who have certain fears that they can exploit or certain demographics who have certain passions that they're interested in talking about or reading about. 
Facebook. Like, Russia literally did taint our elections because they took out ads on Facebook, used surveys to collect all the information they needed about people's fears and ideologies and weak spots and susceptibility to messaging. Like, it's actually so economic for them now, right? Like, it's so economic for them to target very specific demographics when they don't have to reach a broader audience that existed in the 70s where there's like three major networks, right? So three major networks, three major news stations, uh, three people, three demographics, and then you can divide those demographics by what, what favorite television programming Right, but still, you now you're dealing with everyone who wants to watch Friends, and that's billions of people with billions of different opinions and ideologies and religious backgrounds, and that's not helpful for advertising. Then you're just doing a numbers game, right? You're doing a numbers game because Republicans and Democrats like Friends, pro-life people and pro-choice people like Friends. So now you got to choose a place where you can reach as many people as possible, and that gets expensive. And it's a lot of guessing. But social media, not so much. Not so expensive at all because now they have taken, Facebook and other social media companies have taken very specific demographics. And I've run ads on Facebook, so I know exactly how it works. And Instagram now, or Facebook now owns Instagram and Google now owns YouTube. So again, you're dealing with a very small number of companies that are collecting voluntary data and then manipulating it for advertisers. So, like, they literally can go in there and they can say, I want to target pro-life women who uh, quit their corporate jobs to be stay-at-home moms who make thirty dollars to $55,000 a year who are married, who have two children, who live in a small agriculture town who attend church weekly and go to a book club. They can get that specific. And then they can design an ad just for that market that triggers all the things you're afraid of, all the messaging that will have the most uh, impact on you to get their outcome. See, that's the thing is you're being manipulated for their outcome. Not what you want for their outcome. And how do they know this? You've taken a survey. They've monitored every single thing you've clicked on. uh, How long you spent reading on that page. What you've commented on. What you've liked. uh, What video you played and watched. um, What your comments were. What the keywords your posts have. So you will tell them a keyword is the thing America needs to know about. If you're saying the words pro-life, you are an automatic target 
So now advertising dollars of this very, very, very few companies can now shape your thoughts. They can shape your thoughts and they can shape your beliefs because you've told them everything they need to know and what exactly to say to prey on your fears or your hopes or your dreams and your worries and your fantasies and your wishes. This is information warfare, friends. There's a war happening and it's been happening and we're in it. We're basically already in a war that is a fight for food scarcity. It is a fight for scarce resources. And this idea of free market is gone. It's done. We do not have anywhere near that. That is like, that was one of those ideas, right? The, these philosophies that when realized went bad, <laughs> real bad, like real bad. Like these thoughts of things like capitalism and free market, they were ideas argued by philosophers which then had to be played out in real life. And that's where we learn what's good and bad about it. And that's where we learn about how opportunistic we are. And that's where we learned how willing we are to betray our true values for short-term gain. So these ideas that we have from 1973 are not applicable to today's world. I am begging you to re-engage. There are some very evil things being done in your name. I am begging you everyone to re-engage and it's fucking hard to re-engage because it's an onslaught there's a violent energy that comes at us every time we look at any kind of media like i have email phobia <laughs> i get anxiety when I have to look at my email. I hardly ever go on Facebook anymore because I started to realize that they were using my keywords to generate controversy and conflict on my wall, right? I would say something relatively innocuous meant for my, you know, few friends. And Facebook was seeing keywords, right? One was about the price of things in the grocery store. Like surely you've noticed the price of inflation, right? And Facebook went out, found trolls, and brought them to my feed to have these really big hissy fits. And I was like, this isn't fun. I don't like that. Like, what the fuck? Like, this is not fun. It didn't take very many times for me to stop, stop wanting to be on Facebook. And they have an interest in drumming up controversy because that increases engagement. And yes, friends, we are avoiding the media and it's not because we're afraid our friends are having more fun than we are. We're not that jealous. We are looking at our friends 
and imagining they have less of this underlying dread and anxiety and fear. And that's what we wish we had. Less of this underlying anxiety and dread and fear. That is what we're wishing for. Not that we were at that party with our friends. That's not why we're having anxiety when we go online. We're having anxiety because there's an onslaught. There's a violence. It's information violence being used against us. But I'm asking you to re-engage in a different way. I'm asking you to sit down and really think about your values without reading all that garbage. Just sit down. What are my real values? What are my true values? And reevaluate. Is abortion the number one thing on that list? Or is kindness to people who are already alive on that list? Or is a sense of fairness? How about a sense of fairness? Am I most afraid that abortion will continue to happen or am I more afraid of water scarcity? Am I really a capitalist or do I think that there could be a better way so that my access to water and topsoil and food and air is just as important as a ginormous corporation's right to mine that? I mean, I just don't understand why we are allowing major corporations to come in and pollute our water sources or why we are allowing major corporations to come suck out the water sources or why we are so disconnected that we don't understand that if 20 miles away that is happening, right? The water's being poisoned and the water's being sucked up. Why do we think that that's not ours? Because we all share the same water source. We all share the same air. Like there's like this massive disconnect happening in terms of resources where it's like, oh, well, those people over there have the right to do whatever they want. Here's the thing about freedom. You have the right to do whatever the fuck you want as long as it doesn't infringe on anyone else. Corporations are infringing on everyone else. You have the right to do whatever you want as long as it does not infringe on anyone else, let alone everyone else. Does it make sense to use the world's water up feeding cattle or would it make more sense to eat another type of meat? 
we're to the point where you're going to have to get to the core of what you believe and you're going to have to relook at these issues because we are at a tipping point. I know for me it's been very difficult to grasp because you hear things over and over and over that just turn into sound bites on both sides. Uh, you know, global warming, climate change, um, resources, uh, like these things are hard to grasp until you really look at um, what they mean, right? So, you know, for instance, I was looking into um, a one and a half to two temperature increase. Well, in America, we use Fahrenheit and they're really talking about Celsius. So that would be like going from 32 degrees level of freezing to 34 degrees, which definitely is melting, right? So it doesn't take very many degrees to go from freezing to melting. And now when things melt, now you have rising temperatures. I mean, there's just all kinds of problems. And until, until we get a personal tangible way to measure that, it's hard for us to understand. So what I'm hoping is that this coronavirus panic, which is not about this virus at all, acknowledge, notice, feel how deep it is when in your entire being to understand that it's about food scarcity and water scarcity and land scarcity. I mean, oil scarcity gets all the press. Fossil fuels get all the press and we all have conflicting values, right? I drive a car. I don't think we should be doing fracking, but also I drive a car and I don't want to pay $7 for a gallon of gas because I have to take my kids to school and go to work and go to the grocery store, right? We all have conflicting values and it's pretty interesting how much discomfort we have to be in to pick a side. To even acknowledge that we're picking a side. Like I uh, go to this kickboxing class and I have for nine years and um, I was talking to a couple of my partners on a bag one day and one of them works um, at the electric plant, the electric company, which is now on coal and making a transition into clean air, I mean, clean electric, right? So I think they're doing solar and wind uh, and cutting out coal. Well, you know, one of the women on there is like, well, that's going to impact my family because my husband works on the coal end and they're going to need less labor and it's going to be more expensive short term. So for her, that's a transition that she's preparing for 10 years down the road. So it's personal it's significant and it gives them enough time to be like, okay, we'll be 55 by then. What is our strategy? What is our plan for that transition? But right now we just had a market crash and we just went to war and they're blaming it on a virus. What I'm asking you to do is look up and notice what is the messaging? How could they be using this for their own material gain? Why are they trying to scare us so much over a virus that has so many fewer deaths and illnesses than regular old flu? 
Like this is not the first time there's been a weird virus, swine flu, bird flu. No one fucking shut down international travel over that shit. School districts did not automatically close. This is a completely out of normal reaction. And whatever your primal need right now is going to point to what's really important to you. Is your primal need to um, make more money? Well, yeah, your primal need of survival is going to be triggered, right? Your primal need of survival is going to be triggered. What you're really afraid of is going hungry, not being able to afford to live in your house, right? Just get more core there. And for pro-life voters, oh my God, you guys, it is time to reevaluate your priorities. Reevaluate your 46-year-old or your childhood uh, communities priorities and look at that against all the other massive sins you are participating in by allowing this takeover of the Republican Party. And you really are going to have to look at whether that one baby is as important as the fact that we're putting people in concentration camps again. You really are going to have to look at, okay, this is important to me, but is this worth food scarcity? Until we have more than a two-party system, those are your unfortunate choices. Those are your unfortunate choices. Gosh, when I was a young mom, there were not all these small women-owned businesses that only happened out of necessity because my generation of women were like, wait, our family can't live on one income and I don't want to leave my kids for 60 hours a week. And so I was consumed with this terrible pain of having to choose between two very horrible choices and Christian Republicans you are in that position right now you are going to have to choose between two very terrible choices I get your position with pro-life I do I get it I validate that I say yep yep that is a legitimate concern, but is it your biggest concern? When you look at the messaging of the Republican Party as it is today in a Trump administration, in a campaign year, does we don't wanna pay for old people to get food reflect your messaging? Reflect your true values? Does Nazi-friendly global corporate control of the food system reflect your Christian values? Does making individual citizens pay taxes on their meager income 
instead of taxing mega corporations a reasonable amount of money, does that reflect your true values? Because you can't opt out. Wherever we're going, it's on you. It's on you more than the rest of us. It's on you way more than the rest of us because you're the ones who get to say if this is okay with you or if this is not. The rest of us that have already decided this is fucked up or they've decided I'm getting enough from this that I'm invested in keeping this going. One or the other. Democrats have already decided we're in a situation that's fucking scary and it's fucked up and we have to do something about this and here's some things we might do. I could never get on board with the Republican agenda because it did not match my moral, spiritual values as a Christian. Like, how is it Christian to withhold medicine from people because I don't feel like paying for it? It's not. It's not even a matter of debate. It's, it's a matter of a disparity of true values and political rhetoric that has been used to manipulate people into thinking that what they're doing is okay or doesn't matter that much or uh, is somehow you're on the same team. Your enemy is my enemy, maybe, is where that thinking comes from. Your enemy is my enemy. No. Mm Mm-mm. No. That's, well, for one thing, that's not even a Christian value in and of itself. A Christian value in and of itself is love your neighbor, even if they're, you know, Mexican trying to come over the border, don't lock them in a fucking prison camp. Keep them away from their children. Like, I cannot comprehend how Christians are okay with this. And it's your party who's doing it. So you're the ones who are going to have to stop it. And I know, oh my God, it's like Nazi Germany, blah, blah, blah. It's such... It's such an overused criticism, but I am concerned that when I followed the breadcrumbs for the research of this book to these companies, that there were known associations with Nazi Germany supplying the Germans with their materials they needed for war. That concerns me. And when I'm looking at who owns these global monopolies of food and water and the political ideology behind those companies, that concerns me. I'm asking you to step into the 21st century with fresh eyes because your party has been taken over you're not getting it back this year (laughs) nope you're not getting it back this year you're probably never going to get a party back unless we get rid of the delegate system the delegate system in our national elections is the only way we can get rid of the two party system Everything else is a delusion. There is no protest vote this time, friends. There is no protest vote, friends. There is no abstention 
from voting this time, friends. If you abstain, if you protest, you are voting for Trump, period. If you can look at the world right now and think that this is okay, check your Christian values against it. If you can look at how we are taxing individual citizens instead of corporations, global corporations that are being granted citizenship rights in our court system, if you can look at that as an American and be okay with that, what the fuck? What the fuck? I shouldn't have to pay for your health care. You shouldn't have to pay for mine because there's plenty of fucking money being handed around. Big Pharma should be paying enough taxes to pay for all of it. And they are making enough money to pay for all of it. And we are 38th in the world in terms of quality and efficacy of healthcare. Across every measure, we are failing. We tax them enough. <laughs> we can pay for the whole fucking game. All of it. We can pay for the whole game. People leave America to go elsewhere in the world to get their medical care, not because of any other reason. You're not leaving a worse system. I've had so much dental work done in Mexico. I know people who go from all over the world to Mexico to get things like MRIs and x-rays and tests done and small procedures. You know why? Because it's not going to bankrupt them. And I'll tell you what, they have exactly the same equipment made by exactly the same company. Here's the thing, that thinking that America's so ahead of the curve also is back in 1973. With the invention of technology, everyone has the same information. We do not have smarter people in America than they have in India. Information is the thing that we had, and now it's the thing that everyone has. It is a level playing field in terms of innovation. Intellect is open. Information is open. Now that shit is free market. And because it is free market, we have to give up this silly little idea that we are ahead of everyone else in innovation, in technology, in information, in medicine, because we're not. We're not. Our system is failing. People are not looking to us for medicine advice, friends. They're not. Because they've got it figured out better than we do. And you shouldn't have to pay for it. And I shouldn't have to pay for it. Big Pharma should have to pay for it. These massive global corporations, so much money is changing hands and it's not entering our economy locally because they're outsourcing the money, the jobs to somewhere else. So the money isn't even going around in our cities and towns. And now Trump is going to ask you for a bailout. 
He's going to tell you, oh shit, this is bad for the economy. The stock market crashed. We need a bailout. Let's take your billions of dollars and put it in the hands of exactly these global corporations who have done this to us. We're going to save them. You guys figure it out. You're on your own because you're not going to get the job back. The jobs are not coming back. The jobs are not coming back. The security is not coming back. The water is not coming back. Now we can rebuild soil with goats, that's for sure. This is not a desperate end game. This can be fixed with pretty simple sophisticated solutions like using goats for land reclamation and uh we got to get to neutral to do any of that though we can't keep sucking up more groundwater than mother nature can provide and expect to not run out of water The only thing that scares me is that Christians have a vested interest in the end of the world. It's something you've been talking about and preparing for and looking forward to for quite some time. And I think you should individually determine whether bringing about the end of the world is going to get you what you want after this world, right? Like if you bring about the end of the world based on your consumerism, your uh, desire to go to war so you can show how fierce we are as a military, um, your refusal to pay for other people's health care. Like if you bring about the end of the world by allowing this kind of corporate takeover of America and its politics and the world do you get to go to heaven at the end of the world because you said you believed in Jesus I think that's worth considering because there's definitely a human hand in the end of the world happening like, this is all man-made shit. This is fixable. But we can't fix it with old, outdated ideas that have no place in today's world. And I get it. The world has moved so fast. Like, time is moving so fast. Technology has happened so fast. We cannot even wrap our brains our brains cannot process this right like change was so slow and we have these evolutionary brains that are used to processing things much slower but we don't have time we don't have time we're in a national <laughs> we're in a national state of emergency so the president gets to do anything he wants right now anything anything and right now he has the Christian rights backing. Are you gonna keep giving him the backing to do whatever he wants right now? Are you going to be a Christian in practice 
Or are you going to pretend like we live in the same world we lived in in 1973 when you checked out of the system and when these corporatists took over your party? I think the fate of the world turns on this American election. And I think that is underlying this panic about a virus. And I think that we cannot take the cop out that talking about this is just negative. It's just stop being so negative. No, there's a real fear. And we can see that when we look at the world, the way we're reacting to this virus, which is very innocuous compared to the virus we deal with every day and yet go about our business every day. We have an opportunity in this crash to reevaluate and take our government back from the corporatists. Dude, DuPont flooded small agriculture towns with Oxycontin on purpose. And then they made it look like somehow Democrats were stealing your land and your resources and your ability to make a living. But it's the contracts you've signed with these globalist corporations that's taking the profit of your food industry. They just knew exactly the right thing to say. And these little towns have been ravaged with addiction and death to the point where now you can't stand up for yourselves. And then you think that this corporatist guy with a big mouth swinging his cock around is on your team what on earth gave you that idea that this big mouth corporatist is on the farmer's side or the christian's side is obscene it's obscene There are some very bad people doing very bad things, and we've given them a lot of, a lot of, most of the, the majority of the power. We can take it back. In November, we have an opportunity to take it back, and we can then immediately, immediately change the rules about delegates. We can get rid of this ridiculous delegate system, step into the 21st century with blockchain technology, which is a programming that is so far unhackable and each individual person can have their vote counted that's what democracy means democracy means that your vote gets counted and right now your vote is not being counted your vote is not being counted and the ones who are not winning are the ones in power
If we get rid of this delegate system for our national elections, we can turn this around and then pro-life Christians can get their own party and not be completely subjected and taken over by corporatists who have hijacked your party. I do not think that it is valuable for everyone to have the same ideas and opinions. I do, I can never understand why people think they're winning when like some ultimate battle, when one party jumps into office, reverses everything that the past party did for a whole four years. And now we're just like in this tug of war and it's very difficult for us to keep up and process and technology is such that we can't really afford to do that. We can't afford to swing so far right and so far left. If we get rid of the two-party system, we could probably use our checks and balances system to keep it somewhere in the middle, going in the right direction. But this is crazy. They're old ideas for another time, applicable to another world, but not this one. Not this one. Our quote-unquote founding fathers lived in a different world. They were playing with new ideas. It was a new idea to not be subjected to a king. A corporation, as it is today, had never been invented yet. The stock market did not exist. A weapon was a pistol. and a cannonball. They had never conceived of a computer. Whatever anybody says about the Founding Fathers and what they intended, they were smart men who would have changed their minds based on present current circumstances because they were essentially philosophers and that's what philosophers do they examine they argue they debate ideas and then they change their minds when you test that out in reality i mean that's what science is you the scientific method here let's try this it's a hypothesis okay that didn't work let's try something else the founding fathers themselves called America the great compromise. They didn't agree. They were fundamentally in disagreement about how this should go. That's why they put checks and balances in so that one ideology did not have a complete power over everything else, but you've allowed the hijacking of your values in your party. The Founding Fathers didn't agree with each other. They compromised and they called it an experiment. Meaning, we don't know how this is going to go and we hold it open to change.
The only reason the document has any value is because we continue to allow it to evolve based on present current circumstances. We're in a circumstance right now that has never been in human consciousness before. It just hasn't. We have been tricked into thinking that capitalism is the same thing as democracy. It just isn't. One is an economic system and one is a ruling system. Democracy is how we choose to rule ourselves. And it's an ideal that America was based on but never got to be carried out because of our geography being too spread out. And so we had to send these people by horse to state what we wanted, right? That's why we have delegates. We don't have horses. We're not spread out. The world is small. And we are not operating under a democracy. We are operating under a corporatism, which is a distortion of capitalism. And capitalism is a financial system. It has to do with money, economics, Democracy and capitalism do not go hand in hand, even though we've been told throughout our history that they do. They are not the same thing. You do not lose democracy if everyone gets medical care. That's a fallacy. It's not true. It's completely insane. That confuses capitalism with democracy. Capitalism is not the same thing as democracy. Democracy is the ability to run your own life unless it appears with someone else's ability to do something. You can do whatever you want. That's democracy. Democracy is being given the right to directly elect people to make the rules for business, right? Like our government's supposed to be governing our economy instead of the economy governing our business that's why corruption has occurred because we've gotten that backwards it's backwards to it's back we're letting capitalists run the world and they are corrupting global governments including the united states like the united states <laughs> We're so much smaller than we think we are. We're so much less relevant. Because corporatists... (laughs) They have more landmass than we do. They have global landmass. Global water mass. We're just the United States. The United States exists for its people. And we've gotten that flipped in the last couple of years. It does not exist for its corporations. So if we keep running like this right on target, here's what's going to happen. We're going to be at war with Iran and whoever else has any resources that we want. We're going to continue to consume. We're like consuming is our patriotic duty as we have been told several times so far we're going to hand over all of our tax dollars to corporations who don't pay taxes here 
We're rendering ourselves powerless. And it's not necessary. It's easily turnaroundable. We can easily turn this around. Easily, we could apply a value-added tax just like Europe does and take a percentage of Amazon sales to run our economy. Jobs are never coming back, which means we need to put some security measures in place so that life is not so cutthroat and unstable. Because an unstable populace is a violent populace. That, I mean, that's why all of these other countries are having such violent conflict and needing shelter in the United States is because our consumption has fucked up their economic balance and sucked up all of their resources. And it's, you know, been working for us for a while now, but we're running out of even their resources. But if we are smart, what we will do is look at the collapse that has resulted from this coronavirus. Take a serious evaluation of our true values based on whatever religious beliefs we happen to hold, based on whatever moral compass we each have, and we will not fall for rhetoric. We will understand that the real resources we're talking about are not just those hidden under the ground in the form of oil fueling our cars and our need to go to work. We don't need to go to work anymore. I mean, really, no one needs to go to work anymore. We can telecommute. That's the source of outsourcing, right? So now the dollars that were used to the people who went to the office are being sent out of the country and those people are just using the dollars there. At least if an immigrant comes in and takes that, uh, they're spending their money here and contributing to the social security system. So immigrant, immigrants are actually necessary right now because we have way too many baby boomers and way too few children. So we need more people to come in here to support the expectations of baby boomers having social security and Medicare. And if we required companies to pay the taxes for us to have medical care in order to do business, we could do that. We could do that. You and I could literally pay no taxes whatsoever if we were properly, fairly taxing the mega corporations that have all the resources, if we were willing to step up for ourselves... We could have that. And we know we can have it because, I mean, it's not anything new that we would invent. Countries all over the world have already done it because it just makes more sense economically. It makes more sense. It's more sustainable. You cannot build a sustainable, stable economy based on the fiction, the imagination of the stock market. You cannot build a stable economy when everyone in your economy feels unstable. They say the motherhood of invention is necessity, but it's not desperation. See, there's there's a difference between 
hey, I would like something to be different. That's necessary. I'm going to change it. Now I have innovation. The capitalists would like you to believe that you have to be desperate to invent something new for innovation to occur. And I'm telling you, desperation is a terrible place from which invention comes. It does, like, I have been, I'm a highly creative person and I can produce a hell of amount of work. But not if I'm desperate. If I'm desperate, it's like a paralysis. Desperate people are not creative and inventive. If we have a populace that are desperate because they're afraid of the basic fundamental necessities of life, something that America has generally been encapsulated from this kind of desperation, but we're getting there more and more as we've lost traditional jobs, as we've moved away from the land, so we don't even have that access to that generational knowledge or security. Like, we've become insulated from the realities that desperation does not breed anything good. And if we're desperate because we don't have access to medical care, we can sense that our food and water is at stake. And we don't have steady paychecks or sources of income, we become desperate. And that is not a population you want to live in. And it's completely unnecessary that's the part that just kills me about this it's so unnecessary we can completely reclaim and rehabilitate all the land we just have to do the right things with it and stop consuming it faster than mother nature can take care of it we could all have medical coverage we could all have medicine we just have to stop you know insisting that we get ass raped by mega pharmaceutical companies like or a corrupt food system and by the way these few companies that own the food system also own the big pharma companies it's just one system like very 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 few companies of these mega corporations own all the things that we need all of them they own the things that are making us sick. They own the medicine to treat the sickness. They own the cure, or lack thereof. Like, it's a perfect circle for them. And we're requiring of them nothing. Not a tax dollar. Not a regulation. Not a prevention. Not a requirement to repair what they've fucked up. Nothing. We require nothing of them. And that's what we're calling freedom? How free do you feel right now? That is not making me feel very free. It's making me feel very powerless because the reality is I am very powerless and so are you. And we're powerless because we're choosing powerlessness because we've bought into some kind of ideology that this is somehow going to make a better economy. Our economy is so unstable. And 99% of the wealth in the economy is imaginary. And it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't need to be this way. And personally, I'm not invested in the end of the world. 
I'd rather die a natural death and meet my maker on the other side without living through war, without being afraid that you're going to take my son and send him to war. Over what? You think I want my son to go to war to defend this kind of insane system that we've just put a pretty bow on and handed over to morally corrupt, reprehensible, disgusting people that head these mega corporations? Fuck that. In no way do I think that is quote unquote America. In no way am I hoping my son gets to go patriotically fight for something that we're calling this country that it's not this country. No fucking way. In no way am I hoping my children grow up and face war and famine and natural disaster and instability and sickness being caused by the companies who control the medicine who refuse to allow us access because they price it such that we can't afford it and jobs that don't pay enough money to actually live on, which basically makes them modern day slavery. Yeah, uh uh-huh. I am not invested in bringing about the end of the world and I hope I hope that Christians get enough self-awareness to realize that intentionally bringing about the end of the world is not God's plan. And those that do so may not find what they want to find on the other end of that. War is not pretty. We glamorize it in movies, but it is not anything I want to live through. I don't want to be on the winning side of it or the losing side of it. War itself is a corrupt. We're not going to war for freedom like we were told in the 19th century and the 20th century. That is not our motive for war right now. We are not fighting for an ideology of freedom. We are fighting over resources, water resources, land resources, oil resources, the right to pollute or not to pollute our air. I am not in favor of an unjust war. And right now, what we're doing is unjust. And I'm upset and disturbed by it. And you are too, even if you don't know what to point at, even if you don't know the thing to name it, your fear about this virus is a deeper thing. This virus is not about this virus. Our reaction to this virus is not about that. In November, we can turn this around, or I should say you, if you're in the political right, you can turn this around. If you're a swing voter, you can turn this around. Because, yeah, I mean, just regular voters don't matter. We don't matter. No, messaging now has gotten so concise that they literally sent the messaging to the right 10,000 people in the right area of the United States with the right fears, the right demographic, in the right region, 
And that's what turned this election. The last one in 2016. This is not a conspiracy theory. They brought it before Congress, which was pointless and useless and futile because of who we've got running the show. Just like we're supposed to prevent monopolies from controlling our food and water system. Look who's running the show. And suddenly we're more monopolized by fewer people than ever. Okay, friends, if there's a single one of you still listening, God bless you. God bless you and God bless us and God bless America. And you know what? God bless the rest of the world too. God bless us to live in a peaceful world where we share resources because resources belong to everyone on earth. And we're much closer and more intertwined than we think. God bless us with wisdom. And an ability to see. And to choose based on our current realities instead of ideologies and old philosophies that don't pan out or have a place in today's modern world, which was inconceivable even 20 years ago. God bless us to be able to process and make sense of information and to stop shaming ourselves for feeling anxious and depressed and unstable. God grant us the ability to see that that is what a sane person feels in a situation such as we find ourselves. God bless us with compassion and an ability to see through bullshit and to face a choice between shitty choice and shitty choice and to choose the one with the least lives lost, the least famines created, the more fairness won. And to be compassionate to the other places in the world who have the resources that we want. Grant us with that kind of compassion and grace. God, take care of this fear we have and help us see the solutions and to believe our guts that we know something's not right, something's off, something's wrong, and to identify, help us identify what that is. And help us be fierce. 
and take back our land and our water and our food. Help us identify our individual and collective humanness as separate from corporatized interests that have no sense of humanity or values. Help us become a thing better than our founding fathers could have conceived of. Much better. If you listened to the end of this podcast, God bless you. You win a medal. Oh, I think I made it just so I could say some things out loud that I wanted to hear and maybe you needed to hear it too. Otherwise, you wouldn't have stuck around. So maybe pass it on. Pass it on to someone who you think might also need to hear it. Share it on your news feeds. I'm hoping to attract people who can resonate with this and spread the message that this is not the way it has to be. It doesn't have to be this way. We have ways to fix this. We have ways to fix this. But we're going to have to come together. We're going to have to really come together because there are the power, the magnitude of power of the people who don't want us to fix this. It's pretty big. Pretty big magnitude. God bless America. And God bless the rest of the world. God bless Americans. God bless the rest of the world. Amen.